Hello, my name is Dr. Gwinnett, and welcome to the Autism News Network podcast. This is episode 19. You can follow me at Dr. Gwinnett, that's at D-R-G-W-Y-N-E-T-T-E. And you can also follow our work on theautismnewsnetwork.com. We are joined today by a very special guest, Mr. Joshua Miller. Welcome, Josh. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm all right. My allergies are acting up a little bit, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, tis the season in South Carolina, right? Unfortunately. (laughs) The home of pollen. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's we've been pretty blessed here in Charleston that it's been pretty mild, but we know the heat and humidity are coming very soon, right? Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, Josh is, is back and um, he did a previous podcast with us and you can check out um, that episode. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's early on, probably episode. Yeah, five. it's one of the earlier ones. Yeah. And um, we wanted to bring Josh back because, hey, we love being in the room with Josh Miller and uh, talking about whatever's on his mind. Um, Josh is an Autism News Network participant and uh, he is a very talented guy. We're going to talk about some of his interests today. Um, so, First, though, Josh, I want to ask you, how do you feel like you're holding up during this pandemic? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I mean, since I moved to where I'm at right this second, I mean, I've been isolating for the better part of two years. So this ain't, this ain't new to me, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, so and you and I have talked offline about social isolation and how it's difficult, you know, wanting, wanting social connections. And then the pandemic kind of takes away a lot of possibility, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, but that, but we're all a work in progress. So hopefully uh, we can get through this and um, in, in begin to expand our worlds out again. So, um, but yeah, what have you been doing to, to stay busy? Um, well, I've been, um, uh, I've been doing, I've been doing my um, online school work with, with one of the local um, colleges. Um, and when I'm not on a leave of absence dealing with medical stuff, um, I've been watching TV, I mean, older TV shows like Gundam and, and, um, and TV with my mom and, you know, reading books and yeah, trying to come up with ideas to write, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. You're, you're definitely a I'm great playing Halo. Playing Halo. Yeah. Um, so Halo is has been around a little while, but it's still a classic, isn't it? They actually, I mean, this is this shows how old I am. I mean, because I remember when it first came out. Now for the Xbox One, they came out with I think last year the Master Chief Collection, where they took the original two games from the X first generation Xbox back in the early two thousands. They took those two games, kept the same game, but they just updated the graphics to Xbox to near Xbox One graphics. That's so right. I, I've been starting with Halo 1, then I played Halo 2 finally. I've never played that before. Yeah. And 3, I got done with the side story, Halo 3 ODST, and then I backtracked to Halo Reach. Yeah, and for the, those in the audience who don't know, Master Chief is the main character in Halo, um, and he's been kicking butt for a number of years, hasn't he? Yep. Yeah. What do you think it is about about Halo that makes that game so special? I mean, for me, I'm going to be honest with you because, I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with video games. Uh-huh. I mean, 
I mean, I can't just go on. I mean, for me, for me to like a game, I like the story involved in it. Yeah. I mean, I don't play online video games because I used to or try to rather, but I don't go online anymore because because you get cursed out by eight year olds saying words that you know, you know, I got cursed out calling me everything, but but a, and but, you know, yeah. and they call me words I didn't even know existed when I was their age. I mean, it's like, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, it's not like it's Vegas and there's money on the line. <laughs> yeah. People- so I just play the campaign, the story mode. And that's what I like about it. It's like, and you know, it's almost like reading a book, but interactive. Yeah. The story mode is really cool. And um, do you like the vehicles in Halo? Oh yeah. yeah. The Banshees. I remember the first time I rode the Banshees, those were really cool. Yeah, they got the um I like the Scorpion, which is the tank. Uh-huh. And then in Halo 4, they added some kind of small mecha suit like thing. It's yeah. about like 12 feet tall and walks. I thought that was cool. And I bought Halo 5 at GameStop, I want to say at the beginning of April. Um right right as the pandemic was coming to Charleston. And um and that was one of the last times you could go, actually. I think I got it the day before GameStop decided to do an about-face and not let anyone in the store. Yeah, I think for a little while, GameStop was trying to be an essential service, right? Don't get me started on that. <laughs> for some people, I guess it might be, you know. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. Video gaming is never an essential business. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, you're, I think it's smart that we don't touch that one. Yeah, that's a point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to bash a company, but I mean, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I got it. Um, I paid ten dollars, I think, for Halo Five, and I've never played it, and I've been wanting to. Um, so when I eventually get up to there, I want to play Halo Five, and then Redbox. I got this back in November. No, the beginning of December. My bad. Um. Remember that video game, that, um, Jedi Final Order or whatever? I don't know. The, the interactive one that came out. And yeah. that, um, I, um, when I saw online, and you had to be quick about it, where Redbox, where you go get your movies at, yeah. they were doing away with their video game inside of it. So they were selling all their video games for like next to nothing. Wow. So I bought that game for $25 when everyone else was paying 50 or more for it. <laughs> That's good. Why do you think Redbox uh, stopped doing video games in their Redboxes? I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, I know I never used Redbox. That was the only time I've ever even rented anything, and yeah. I bought it. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of an interesting little niche there that they've been able to eke out a living between a Blockbuster video store and Netflix. It was like this little tiny niche, and they seem to be doing pretty well. Uh, I don't see how it's going to last for much longer as far as physical content goes. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably on borrowed time. Um, that's that's cool. So uh, so you've also over the years um, been really interested in writing and um, things like science fiction and um, what kind of stuff have you been reading or thinking about writing? I haven't actually written anything in the better part of twenty years. In fact, let's see if I have it here somewhere. Give me one moment. Cause I don't ever throw anything away. Yep. Here it is. 
I'll have to send you emails of it later, but um, but it's a little vanilla folder. Yeah. And I wrote most of this stuff 20 years ago. It's just story notes for a story I do back when I was in the seventh grade. Yep. No, eighth grade. And um, I just like to write science fiction stories. And right now I've been trying to get the um, – Work up the um. Sorry, I'm here, Josh. No, you're fine. I had to step and close my back door because there was a guy with a weed whacker in the next next door. Okay. We can always edit it out. <laughs> so. So yeah, I like you know. Um, I'm just trying to work up the the Kurt because I seem to have lost as weird as it sounds the passion to write. I mean, yeah. I've been making as almost like since since I left the eighth grade and gone into high school back then, and then you know the bullying really went up by a power of ten. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've almost lost the passion to write, and I'm trying you know really hard to get it back. Yeah. And so I'm trying to, I'm, you know, I joined a fan fiction group for Star Wars and I'm trying to, you know, write that just for practice to just work up the confidence that I finished something, even if it's never going to be published. Yeah. Just so that I can eventually get to the step of working on an original um, story. Yeah. And if you don't mind, tell our audience what fan fiction is. Fan fiction is, is something Hey, it's something that um, you have to be careful. You can never publish it because someone else owns the intellectual property to it. Mm-hmm. But fan fiction is where you take a story, and I say Star Wars since I like it, and you write a um, and you write your own Star Wars story. But since you didn't have permission, you can never publish it. I mean, you could go on one of these fan fiction apps, I guess, and put it on there, but you'll never be able to monetize it. Which is fine because I see it as practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you can work up the the skills and everything playing in someone else's sand sandbox, so to speak, yeah. and then eventually branch out into something out into your own original. Yeah. Um, now you've had a long-standing interest in science fiction, and um, you were introducing me to the idea of um, some sophisticated writings about space colonies, and um, really it was pretty mind blowing. But can you tell the audience a little bit about that? I um I was I'm a huge fan of of Mobile Suit Gundam. It's almost like the Star Trek of Japan, uh-huh. and it's been around in Japan since '79. And just like the original Star Trek here in the states, you know, it got canceled. You know, before they could properly finish it, Star Trek did the original, anyways. Gundam also got canceled, and then just like Star Trek it became popular through reruns. Okay. And that's, um, cause the original run of star Trek, you know, it, it crashed and burned, you know, but when it went on to reruns, that's when it became popular. And the same thing with mobile suit Gundam now. Um, and I bring that up because that's how I got, cause when I see something on TV, whether it's science fiction or anything, I like to research it yeah. to see where they got ideas from. And in the in the Japanese cartoon, 
they have space colonies at at one of the at diff, different Lagrange points in the Earth Moon system, and um, these colonies, like the ones in the original Gundam, were called O'Neill Type Three space cylinders. And essentially, what it is is if you take a cylinder, make it twenty miles long by about almost five miles wide and you spin it a little over one rotation per minute, you can simulate Earth's gravity inside of it using the same principle that, um, that like the tilt-a-whirl at the fair, you know, where you s- sit in and it spins really fast and it sure. sticks you. T- it's using the same principle as that. And um, I've always been fascinated with, with space colonies because unlike Elon Musk, you know, I don't think we'll ever be able to colonize any of the other planets, even if we had the technology to make it, you know, the atmosphere wise, because, because of gravity, Mars has such less gravity than us. It would be hard on people to live there, their full lives and even come to visit earth with the drastic change in gravity. Okay. So if you wanted to, to branch out into space, you'd almost have to do it in a place where you could have gravity near ours and with space colonies, you could do that. And so you, I, you had a um, an author that was kind of a pioneer in this area you were telling me about, right? Yes. Um, Gerard um, O'Neill. I don't know if you can see it. but um, He, um, I think he was at Princeton. I don't know. He was at one of the universities in the, um, and in the late 60s, you know, him and his um, grad students were trying to come up with a way to, um, how would it be possible to live in space? And they were they were talking about it, and they're like, "Well, in order to live in space, it would have to be comfortable. It couldn't be like the International Space Station or in the '60s. It would have been, you know, something made out of rocket parts. Right? You know, it they would have to you. It would have to be comfortable. You would have to have you know Earth's gravity, this, that, and the other. Yeah, you'd have to be able to grow food and control radiation, this, that, and the other. So they came up with um, different types. Um, I know they call them between Island 1, Island 2, and Island 3. And essentially, they're just different shapes and sizes. But, yeah, that's when they came up with it. And he came up with the idea for the mass driver so that they could launch stuff off the moon without using rocket fuel. So just electricity to you know, electricity and magnets. Okay. And what would they be launching off the moon? Um, um, materials, resources that they mined from it. Oh, I see. Okay. So you go down to the moon, you mine materials, and then you... Because you would have to build this colony in space. You couldn't build it on Earth because it's so massive and then, you know, shoot it in space. It just couldn't be done that way. Okay. Interesting. So you'd have to use particles from the moon to construct the space station or the space colony. Yes. That's really interesting. Um, and you had a model there. That yep. Can you tell us about how that, what that is? That is, this is, I don't know if you can really see it good, but this is a small, um, a small accurate model of what the Island three looks like, which is my favorite. Okay. And, and so this ring right here where my fingers at, you know, that would be where you grow your food. 
I mean, I know you can't really see it in the picture, but each, this ring is made up of tiny, tiny little cylinders. And each one of those cylinders would have its own environment. So you could have year round growth of um, watermelon or, or squash or, you know, stuff that grows in the summer, you know, it could be summer and each one of those tiny cylinders all year round. So you could have always in season. That's cool. And so you're using sunlight and then how do they control for the temperature in space? The different, um, the way I understand it, cause I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not a physicist, so I have a hard time understanding it. Yeah. I, mean, I try to, when I read it, I have to, um, I try to see if I can relate it to something I know so I can get a better understanding of it. Sure. But you would control, I think it's through the mirrors, which is what, um, for the main colony, let's see if I can get, yeah, for the main yeah. colony, it'd be these things sticking hold on, out right here. I don't know if you can really see it, but that black thing that's barely visible, mm -hmm. those are mirrors and it has three for the main colony. You would direct sunlight via it would move so you'd see the sun rise and set to simulate it. Oh, so this and was you like could close it to get darkness to simulate that. And so in that book, The High Frontier by Gerard O'Neill, he outlines a plan for how you, I guess, overcome some of the physical challenges of being out there. Yeah, and there's a lot of challenges you'd have to overcome. <laughs> yeah. Did he start out with a premise about why it was important to live in space? Yes. He, um, I mean, the guy was ahead of his time. I mean, he knew from data that, um, that you know, eventually Earth is going to run out of fossil fuels eventually. I mean, because at the end of the day, Fossil fuels are are a finite amount of resources, you know, and it doesn't replenish itself. So, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So between that and he knew that, you know, the environment, you know, as far as, you know, because unfortunately, you know, with factories, you know, it is toxic to, you know, so it, you know, it's harmful. To, so between that and the population growing, because now we've reached a stage in human history where people are living longer. You know, before in the past, you know, you had diseases and, you know, a lot of diseases that almost kept the population in check. And I hate to say that, you know, I'm not trying to sound cold, but I understand. But it did. And now that, you know, with modern medicine, you know, that's not really no much of a problem for most of the world. Yeah. So people are living longer. And there's again, just like there's only a finite amount of fossil fuel, there's only a finite amount of space. Right. And there's only a finite amount of fresh water for us to drink. Even though the world is mostly water, that's salt water. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't drink salt. So that's why he came up with the idea for space colonies. Cause he's like, we can't live on the moon. Not permanently. I mean, we could build bases there, you know, temporary, but we would never be able to have a permanent 365 day, you know, permanent thing there. You can't live on Mars because of the gravity you can't live on Venus because the pressure will kill you. <laughs> yeah. so, what else is there? Until we get faster in light travel, which that's not going to happen for a long, long time, you got to build, you would have to build in space where you could clearly duplicate the, the conditions on Earth so that people could live and grow, you know, like that. Yeah. 
I, did do you recall what he mentioned about water source? I know he said water was precious, and that I mean, but I can't remember exactly. Yeah, because that's probably a tough one because water is also really heavy, you know. It is because yeah. that's why he was talking about you know we could get, you know, we could mine. Um, I mean, comets are made up of water. He was talking about how we we could get water from space, and mm-hmm. he did. He said all kinds of different things. Yeah, that's really really interesting. So you could go pretty deep in that, you know. Oh yeah. Um, and, and also in Gundam, they also said the downside to it is when, is when the antagonistic country, the the principality of Zeon, they actually took one of these things and dropped it on Earth and destroyed Sydney, Australia with it. So, I mean, they also showed where you could use it as a weapon, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's so big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, that's pretty wild. So he was running about that in the late seventies. Well, no, that's the Japanese guy that came up with the cartoon Gundam. Yeah. No, um, Gerard O'Neill was more of an optimist. <laughs> he wouldn't have wrote that in his book. Okay. Gotcha. Um, awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I want to read that the high frontier um, and uh, pivoting a little bit. You've been doing some, some photography recently, haven't you? I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, tell us a little about that. I've always been fascinated with, um, I mean, even as a kid, I've been fascinated with different alien planets mm-hmm. or what scientists would imagine an alien planet would look like. And, um, and to me, I feel like the closest thing that I would be able to get to an alien planet is taking things, taking pictures of stuff closer to the ground. Because, you know, grass, you know, may look simple to us because you know we're over five feet tall but to an insect you know the size of an ant or something you know grass would be the size of an average tree so how would the world look like from that how would the ground look like from that point of view and i've always been fascinated with stuff like that and i took my star war miniatures which are not big i mean the one of the the ATAT that's in the picture, you know, is smaller than the palm of my hand. Yeah, I took you know a cheap twenty dollar phone, and you know, I had, and I think that's what flared up my allergies, is because I hate pollen. But anyway, I had to get really close to the ground to take the shots, and yep, it's what I did. Yeah, I saw those pictures yesterday, and they are awesome. We're going to be posting those to our Autism News Network Instagram. Um, various shots of uh, the ATAT. And what's the walker with two legs? The chicken walker ATST. Yeah, the chicken walker. Um, and the way the perspective is set up in these shots, it really does look like they're on an alien planet. Um, and there's some really cool ones where my favorite one, I, I think I told you yesterday was like, there's one where the ATAT is like crashed out in an anthill and um, in the chicken. Yeah. That, that was really <laughs> neat. Um, so we'll be posting those. And um, yeah, it's a great way to be creative and let your imagination run wild and, um, you know, take advantage of being outside because right now we're all kind of cooped up. But yeah, the, the price, of course, is the seasonal allergies. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I enjoyed looking at those. We'll be, we'll be sure to post those. Um, I mean, I was one to, um, you know, my idea when I took them at first, 
is that I wanted to take the pictures and then I wanted to Photoshop the background out of it, like where you see my apartment or the cars or what have you. Unfortunately, the last time I dabbled in this type of photography, which was at least three years ago, I think, uh-huh. I had a different computer. I had a Windows computer. So I downloaded um, GIMP, which is a free Photoshop alternative. And unfortunately, GIMP is um, is not really the best for a Chromebook, which is what I have now. So I wasn't able to. But eventually, I would like to get a something where I can Photoshop it better. Yeah, that, I mean... They look great now, but certainly there's lots of things that you can do with computers to like, uh, I guess, expand or optimize the picture. Oh, yeah. yeah. And with the anthill, I mean, I had to be really quick because I was looking because at first there was a, an ant hill near my house, a smaller one. But those weren't fire ants, so they weren't aggressive. So I would put the ATAT walker in the tiny mound and they would just go around it. Yeah. I don't need that because I need the, the ants look like aliens, like they're attacking. <laughs> so I had to find a, a fire ant mound to, you know, to put so that it would look, so they would actively attack it. And at the same time, I had to be quick so that before they found me and started biting me. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's like the hazards of, uh, of getting the shot, you know? Yeah. And did you see the bee pictures? Those ended up being my favorite and that wasn't even planned. Those are awesome, and I posted the first one to Instagram yesterday for the Autism News Network. And uh, we've Did already see the bee that was on the one that was under the stick, where it was just his face. Yeah, we haven't posted that one yet. The first one we posted was the bee kind of sitting side from a side view, and then tomorrow, to oh, yeah, he was flying. That's what was so lucky. I mean, yeah, he was flying because I tried to take pictures of a ladybug, but that one was moving just way too fast. It wouldn't cooperate. Yeah, and then the other one that we're going to today has the – you can see yeah. the bee right there. It's really cool. What a great shot. And, I, you know, those are the type of bees because, you know, bees get a bad rap. But there's two types of bees, really. There's those bees that are in the picture, and then there's the bigger, you know, honey bee, bumblebees. And the smaller bees, the one that's in that picture, they're not aggressive. In fact, you know, they have their mounds in the ground like ants. Yeah. In fact, years ago I found a, a mound in another place I lived at and, um, you know, I was able to get my head right next to the main hole and the bees would come flying by me, go into the hole, completely ignore me and yeah. come out, you know, you know, that's, just like that being the picture, you know, he didn't see me as a threat. So I was able to take pictures of it. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. If you have any good pictures, definitely forward them on and we'll get them posted. Um, I wanted to also highlight some of your work that you did a few years ago. A couple things. One, you wrote a piece for Project Rex, which is still up on the site, called A Glimpse. And can you tell us a little bit about why you wrote that and what it means to you? I wrote that because, um, I mean, I can't remember what it said now. It's been so long. But, um, I mean, I wrote it because, you know, it's just how I, I mean, it's just how my how I view autism for myself. I mean, it's like you said, you know, that, you know, everyone who has autism, you know, is, is different. It's, you know, it's not like cancer where there's, you know, it's not like different types of cancer where the symptoms are more alike than different. Right. You know, you know, with autism, you know, it's a spectrum, unfortunately. And, that you know, everyone has manifests those spectrum, you know, diseases in different ways. So, you know, for me, I mean, that's how I, that's how I had, that's, I, I wrote it to describe how I personally struggle with, with autism for myself. 
And it's a great piece. If you haven't read it, check out projectrex.org and you can just search Glimpse. Mm-hmm. Pull up Josh's piece. And uh, it's really heartwarming and it's, he doesn't hold back. You know, he gives a lot of the, you know, the details, the, the joy and the pain. Um, and it's really cool. And it's, it's a fun read and a quick read. And I, I Oh yeah, it's not long. <laughs> uh, um, and then several years ago, kind of you built on that and you gave a talk at a, the low country autism consortium. Yep. And um, tell us about why that was meaningful for you. Oddly enough, I mean, I was nervous that day, but I mean, oddly enough, I, you know, I don't really have stage fright when, as long as, um, as long as I have stuff prepared to the T on what I'm going to do. Yeah. And as long as I don't have technical difficulties, um, with technology, I try not to use it if I can help it. And when I do, I try to use that minimum for that reason. <laughs> Cause technology has a mind of its own and I don't like being unprepared. So if I go, if I have to speak and, you know, I have everything planned to a T, then, you know, I'm, I feel good about it. You know, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I liked it because, you know, I got to further, you know, explore the stuff. Because some things, you know, I was talking about, you know, I, it does better having pictures, which was something I could do at the um, at the consortium you're talking about because I had a PowerPoint presentation, you know, yeah something I couldn't do in a, in a paper. Yeah. I remember that day it was a packed room. It was like standing room only. And, um, I had the, the blessing of introducing you that day. And I remember saying that, uh, if you're not afraid, it's not courage. And, uh, you were definitely poised to give the talk, but I think what I was so proud of was that you had the courage to share your, your, your life with other people. I mean, I'm an open book. I try to be now because, you know, A, you know, it seems like for the most part, society's attitudes towards, you know, mental health have, you know, have gotten, um, have gotten better, you know, over time. So I try to be an open book, you know, because I like talking about, you know, my struggles because, and I like hearing where, you know, people say, well, I've gone through that because that makes me feel like I'm not alone. Yes. Cause it is easy for me to think that. Yeah. And I just, that's, and I, I saw, yeah, I like talking about it and it's never been a, it's really hasn't been a problem for me. Yeah. There's so many people who've said to me, you know, Josh is so inspiring and if, if Josh can do it, I can do it. Um, so yeah, while you're, sharing your story and, and figuring out that you're not alone. You're also inspiring a lot of other people um, to pursue their goals and their dreams and to keep working to overcome challenges. It's awesome. Yeah. But I, I mean, you know, I just want to stress too. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm myself, I'm a work in progress as well. I mean, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, cause you know, I get self-conscious when people say that, you know, like you said, that I'm an uh, inspiration because I don't really see myself as that. You know, I get, I see myself, you know, I don't know. I feel like I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. So I don't know. I just, you know, and I, you know, and I'm, I struggle a lot, you know, especially with loneliness and, and depression because, you know, I'm a, I'm a contradict, I'm a walking contradictory. I want friends, but I don't <laughs> 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to stick myself out there into a new place. Yeah. So it's like I do and I don't, but uh, <laughs> so, right. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm very complicated. And welcome to uh, being a normal human being. You know, we all make mistakes. We all are walking contradictions. We all are a work in progress. Um, so you're in good company. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking forward. Um, can you tell us about any dreams that you might have things you want to accomplish? Um, honestly, I mean, the biggest things I want to accomplish in life is first and foremost, I want to be independent financially, you know, and, and everything because that's my biggest fear in life is that, you know, something happens to my mom and, you know, and, you know, I, that's just it. I mean, I, and I don't have anybody else to fall back on. Right. So I want to be financially independent. And two, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with disability. I just want to stress that before I say, before I say this next phrase. I am not saying that. <laughs> don't don't People don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But for me personally, you know, I don't want to just get a, a disability check. I want to be able to to work for it. Cause you know, to me, I, again, this is just me. I feel like that, you know, working is a reward, you know, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to sit at home and, and, and play video games and, and, and I feel like that's just wasting life. I feel like I could, I personally could, could do more. So my dream is to be financially independent to get off, you know, social security. And, um, you know, I, be able to own my own car again. Yeah. Maybe even write a, write, write a novel. And, um, I don't know, and do something I really enjoy. I mean, right now I'm, I'm in school for medical billing and coding, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really care for it. I mean, I've never really cared for, for anatomy or anything like that. <laughs> and, and dealing with bureaucracy and this, that, and the other. Trust me, I, I'm not a bureaucratic person. <laughs> but we're, I mean, and I agree with it, but doesn't mean I enjoy day to day in it. <laughs> so we're striving toward independence and a meaningful career, which is great. Those are great things to to pursue. Because I mean, because my biggest passion in life, more than anything, is books. And I and and I know that's hard. You know that maybe weird because it seems like books are a dying breed in light of ebooks and computers and everything else. But for some reason, I just really love books. I mean, I had, you know, I had a difficult childhood and for me to get away from stuff, you know, I used books, you know, I read, no I read novels and I mean, I read Jurassic Park in eighth grade and, you know, and I still remember, Michael Crichton was, I mean, he's very descriptive and the scene in the movie where the guy from Seinfeld dies by the spitting monster or spitting dinosaur rather in the book, it was very descriptive, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and I still remember the, the, uh, that page to this day. And that was 20 years ago. Wow. And I, I wouldn't be surprised because you read so much. That's probably why you're such a good writer as well. I mean, I feel like you have to, you have to be able to read to be able to write. Yeah. I mean, you know, cause there's some things that, you know, you can watch TV, but unless you, 
unless you read, it would be a hard time to translate visual to, to written. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I like, you know, and that's why I like the Star Wars, the old Star Wars expanded universe, you know, slash legends, you know, what used to be the continuation of Star Wars before Disney bought right. it. Oh, and we have to have you back to discuss that topic because um, in, in some ways, uh, the Autism News Network podcast, all roads lead to Star Wars, you know, because that discussion is so rich and people are so passionate that we we definitely want to get into that. Um, so will you come back and see us sometime soon? Oh, yeah, I will. I mean, but my thing with, this, with the Star Wars fans of today, and it seems like it started with the prequels, you know, is that I feel like people at the end of the day need to remember. I mean, I love Star Wars. Don't take me wrong. I mean, I have the Imperial officer's hat. I mean, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, my room has got Star Wars stuff all over. I live and breathe Star Wars. That being said, and I love the, the old expanded universe stories. Were they perfect? No, there were a lot of stupid stories mixed in there, but that's bound to happen when you have over 200 novels. I mean, you can't, they're not all going to be blockbusters. So, I mean, let me circle back around before I continue my rant. But the, my point is, it seems like the fans have become hostile lately. Yeah. Like you either, you know, it's almost like the Sith. Like, you know, you're either with me or you're my enemy. <laughs> exactly. Like people grow up. It, it, it's, it's, you know, I loved it. I lived and breathed it, used it as an escape. But at the end of the day, it's not real. <laughs> it's like that Disney princess. You know, every time I see on Facebook, I try to avoid Facebook because I get tired of the part of my language of BS. Yeah. But, you know, every time, every once in a while, I'll post a, you know, a gif of the Disney princess from Frozen saying, let it go, yeah. let it go. Because, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, there are much bigger things, you know, to worry about in life than than, than Star Wars. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, Disney paid three point something billion with a B for the rights to it. If they wanted to take the original films, go out in the Mariana Trench and just dump it in the ocean. And, and replace the characters with Disney characters, that's their right. I mean, they paid the money for it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I never thought of that. Um, so I love that you're setting that boundary between fantasy and reality. That is, that's great. And I'm autistic and I feel like, you know, and I feel like, you know, there's sometimes autistic people seem to struggle with that boundary a little bit. And, it, and for me to really understand it and, and get it, that should be a wake up sign that, you know, all right, what, let's wake up people. I mean, you know, it's, you know, if you like the expanding universe, great. I did too. Read the books and ignore Disney. But I mean, you know, no one's forcing you to watch it. Yeah. Write your own fan fiction. Just know that you'll never be able to publish it. That's right. I mean, right. you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, it's, it's fiction. Yeah, because people, you're right. They get very intense and fired up about it. So, well, and it kills. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. Like character, they, they run actors off of Twitter. Because they disagreed with them. Yeah. So and, uh, I think that's insane. Just yeah. like, you know, with, with the kid from um, The Phantom Menace who played Anakin Skywalker, you know, the little kid in the pod racing one. They, they bullied that kid and ran him, you know, this was before social media, and, they, you know, they bullied that kid horrendously. It's not his fault that George Lucas can't write dialogue to save his life. Right. I mean, even Mark Hamill in an interview from the 80s said, you know, told George Lucas, he's like, you know, George Lucas can – can create an extravagant world. He can. And special effects and this, that, and the other. But when it comes to dialogue, he, he struggles with dialogue. <laughs> yeah. And Mark Hamill told him that. He's like, and I saw it in an interview. I can, I'll have to show you the 
um, give you the link later. But he's like, George, you're like, people don't talk like this. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, they're punishing the poor kid, you know, when it, and they should be punishing the writer who wrote the script. <laughs> and all of it, as you said, for something that's just a movie or, to, you know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, this has been the Autism News Network podcast, episode 19. I wanted to thank Joshua Miller for coming in and sharing his intellect and sharing his life with us today. Um, you can reach Josh at his email address, which is joshuapaleon at gmail.com. I'm going to spell that out for you. It's Joshua. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, paleon, P-E-L-L-A-E-O-N at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to him if you want to talk more about anything we discuss on the podcast. Um, you can follow me at Dr. Gornett on Twitter and Instagram. And also please check out our work on theautismnewsnetwork.com. We have lots of videos, newsletters, interviews, all kinds of good stuff for you to check out there. So um, for Josh, I'm Dr. Gornett. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.